ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to uh, the OSINT Bunker podcast. Uh, today it is season two, episode 12. This is the, the season finale for season two, um, and we are dubbing it uh, the Ukraine special um, in light of the fact that we will probably talk about very little else today. Um, I'm joined this evening by uh, Kyle J. Glenn and OSINT Technical, uh, the two co hosts here on the OSINT Bunker podcast. Um, we're going to get into it shortly, but um, we just wanted to obviously start out by making very, very clear we are obviously devastated by um, the scenes from Ukraine in the last few days. Um, we're very well aware that last episode, uh, episode 11, we were very, very clear that we were expecting this to happen. Um, that doesn't make any of the scenes or, or, or the, the casualties any less shocking and distressing um and we just we, we want to particularly for those uh, listeners of ours in ukraine um, and i know there are a few of you out in the ukraine who, who do listen to the podcast um we just want to uh, express our, our solidarity with you guys and our utmost respect for you as a nation um with everything that's been going on the last few days and the astonishing determination that you guys have shown in the face of frankly overwhelming odds um hopefully this episode um will go some way in helping to make the world more aware of what is going on in ukraine um obviously there has been a significant amount of coverage from from international media but um hopefully we'll be able to sort of expand on that a little bit go into a little bit more detail on certain things um and we want to just give a shout out as well to the uk defense journal who in the last week have um, set up a charity donation scheme for the people of Ukraine. Um, we'll put a link to that in uh, the description of the podcast tonight. Um, you'll be able to go to the UK Defence General website and uh, basically buy a t-shirt um, showing your solidarity with uh, the Ukrainian people and all of the money that the UK Defence General would have earned from those shirt sales is being sent directly to charities in Ukraine. And so with that, I think it's time we, we get on really to discussing the, um, well, the topic of the week, the topic of the month, possibly going to end up being the topic of the year, I suppose. Um, although I think it's going to be one of the most talked things of the decade or yeah. more, It's yeah. <laughs> the way things are going. I mean, I, I think it's going to have, it, it's certainly giving Afghanistan a run for its money, um, but yes. Mm. Oh, no, this is like... This is a hundred times worse than what happened in Afghanistan. I'm sorry, like Afghanistan, if you look at the number of people who were the long term impacts of Afghanistan, of course, were larger um, or not even that. We don't know what the long term impacts of this are going to be. They could be significantly larger than Afghanistan. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, uh, U.S. forces were able to extricate themselves and literally multiple hundreds of thousands of people from Afghanistan in like a two week period. Um, and with only one, you know, particularly bad incident, um, which was the, the bombing at Abbey gate or, and that was something that we saw, you know, it was horrible. It was bad to watch it. There was a lot more commentary though, on you know the long-term implications of the entire mm -hmm. war there was more of a narrative to put together that people were talking about um at the end of the day there were less 
it there was it, it was a much different situation than what we're seeing now. Of course, again, longer term impacts for the Afghan people were objectively worse. Um, they they've seen a lot of impacts, and and there's a lot of blame to go around for that as well. But what we're seeing in Ukraine is a combination of a massive humanitarian disaster, um, a large-scale war, a, a larger raising of the tensions between Russia and NATO, and frankly, Russia and the rest of the world, um, to be honest. Because after the UN speech today, and we're recording this at 2 p.m. Eastern, you know, 7 p.m. GMT, um, but what we saw just saw at the UN meeting was... Uh, basically the entire world community um, going to Russia and saying this is not a legal invasion. There, There is no justification for this. There, there is no, there is nothing that indicates that this was justified in any way, shape or form. Um, and that that's the that's the larger geopolitical element of it. Of course, we've seen pretty much every country jump onto some form of sanctions. We've even seen, and I know I'm probably giving this more weight than it deserves, um, certain organizations in China um, start to restrict uh, trade with Russia in fear of sanctions. If it sounds like I'm yawning, I am, because I've been up for 24 <laughs> hours straight, <laughs> which, you know... Uh, obviously, it's going to be uh, it, it, my takes are going to be very hot. <laughs> be that as it may. Um, but we've just seen this larger sort of global rejection of this Russian invasion. I, I don't think I've seen so many people uh, surrounding and it, commenting and being aware of an issue. I mean, I could walk to a random person on the street in the U.S. right now and ask them about what their opinion of the Russian invasion of Ukraine is. And A, they'll know what's happening. And B, they'll probably give me, you know, an opinion and it's probably going to be Russia did something wrong or, you know, Russia's invading Ukraine or whatever. But um, on, on top of that, it's just... We've seen countries that historically have never taken a stance on these issues i mean switzerland who mm -hmm. has not taken an international stance since 1815 sanctioned russia and banned russian flights from its airspace which again the banning of the russian flights from its airspace was a purely symbolic move it was every other country in europe had banned you know russian flights from their airspace switzerland was alone they didn't have to do it but they did it as a symbolic move to indicate what their opinions of the russian invasion was um like, seems... you know russian flights couldn't even get to switzerland once, once the other yeah, ones had gone no, you know banned it there was no purpose for this there it was literally just a symbolic move to say to just you know this big middle finger to russia um but we've just seen this this global backlash and we saw that at mm -hmm. the un today um and it's not like it was unfounded. I mean, if you look at the situation, Russia built up troops for months. Frankly, since last year. Um, it's, it's been a year. It's been since March, April 2021. This has been yeah, a, because been we, we saw there are VDV units, there are Russian airborne units that moved into Crimea over a year ago who have stayed there for over a year and are now traipsing around southern Ukraine. And those ones are actually causing the most issues, probably because they've been sitting in Crimea training for the past year um but 
it is just a um it's something i think we saw coming for a while but it's still incredibly surprising i guess in that it was such a bad political move it was such a bad international political move in that putin managed to effectively align the entire world against him and then he started threatening to use you know nuclear weapons or he didn't threaten to use them he alluded to the threat um which again made even made more countries even more angry i mean china doesn't want a nuclear war like the the Now, China's they, winning the economic war. They don't need it to go hot right now. Yeah, <laughs> like, they don't want anything to go hot. It's against their best interests. And so you'll see, again, you'll see China working in the background to prevent something like that happening. Um, I will comment that during their speech at the UN, they did specifically say that, and I actually, I'm going to go bring up what they specifically said because I actually typed out what they said verbatim. Um, they said... All countries' sovereignty and territorial integrity should be respected, which, again, is sort of a China thing because they don't recognize Taiwan as a country, so it actually didn't box them into a corner there. But it was very specifically aimed at the Russian invasion. Wasn't if didn't they go on though and say um, they said something specific about like they understand like the you know Ukraine Russia situation and they kind of. Almost, yeah. They they were also kind of saying almost things... compared. Not didn't compare it to Taiwan, but they kind of alluded to it, being like, "Oh, but this doesn't, you know, it, it doesn't count." Like, you know, Ukraine's sovereignty is, you know, isn't really being affected in this case. Yeah, and they also made comments like, "Ukraine should be, you know, a conduit between the East and the West." Um, but uh, again, the the I think the major statement there was, you know, one country's security should not come at the expense of another's, um, which. It just was a a very strong rebuke of the Russian actions in in if you sort of read under the words themselves. Um, no, but I mean, at, at the same time, if if you look at the situation, it, it, it's not good for China. It, it is it's a destabilizing thing for them. And they don't like that because it it takes China out of the driver's seat. They like being in the driver's seat. Yeah, and I mean. Speaking of not being in the driver's seat, that can pretty much be described as, you know, how Russia's invasion is going <laughs> at the moment is really, isn't it? Yeah. It's definitely oh. not going um, it's, it's anywhere near as well. That, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, I, I saw just before we started recording, I saw someone posted on Twitter um, an archived copy of, um, you know, the Russian media RIA Novosti, um, an article that they posted on their site on the 26th of February, so that was Saturday. So, yeah, so the invasion started on the morning of the 24th, am I yeah. correct? On that? I, everything has just merged into one. It's, it's, it's yeah, the 24th. <laughs> um, so we're five days in now. So an article they posted on the 26th. Um, I'm not going to read the whole thing, obviously. Um, but it was basically, it was um, a, a celebratory article, um, obviously expected ahead of you know, Russia's expected victory. Um, so some choice quotes uh, in the second paragraph. It says, um, Russia is restoring its unity, the tragedy of 1991, obviously the collapse of the Soviet Union. Um, terrible catastrophe has been overcome um, through war. Um, it then also goes on to state, uh, Ukraine has returned to Russia. Um, 
and and just a bunch of it's it was basically an article that was obviously scheduled to go out you know they were expecting this war to be over by what time was it scheduled uh 8 a.m gmt um on on saturday so they expected you know this war to be over well within 48 hours um and you know we're now entering well we're entering the the night it is currently it was it's seven o'clock here so it it's currently day. 10 yeah it's 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 20, 10 past 9 at night you know we're going to release this video at some point day. it's the fifth ish day <laughs> yeah yeah fifth it's day 5 it's day set. 5 yeah we we're going into yeah going into the fifth night i think um and you know russia they they don't have kiev they don't have uh, mariupol uh they don't have kharkiv um they they don't have they haven't made any significant gains really in the Donbass region. Their uh, the air force air... is non-existent over Ukraine. Gonna yeah. just gonna be dead honest. They have done limited strikes and very yeah. little to actually gain air superiority. I mean, again, I know the whole ghost of Kiev thing. Yes, that's completely real, hundred percent. Believe in it, but even if the pilot only shot down a few jet Russian, you know, aircraft. A few Russian aircraft got shot down, you know, during the first day, and they really have not tried to regain air superiority in any no, meaningful they, way. No, they've got spooked. They got spooked big time by the Ukrainian air defense, I think. Yeah, like I, said, I think even um, Oryx on Twitter, um, I don't have his tweet up right now, but I believe he himself has confirmed through, like, visual imagery, um, you know, not even any MOG claims, um, that there's been maybe two or three Ukrainian, uh, Russian jets shot down. Um, as well as, I think, maybe five, six helicopters, um, and then, you know, 70, 80, you know, Russian armored vehicles, 20 or 30 tanks. Um, I'll try and find the tweet now while, I, while, I, while I'm just rambling on. Um, you know, and also, you know, um, at least, I believe, two book uh, SAM systems um, were destroyed by, you know, the Ukrainian TB2 drones, which is unbelievable look actually there's just <laughs> they, they news that come out they, there's just news that came out and and i'll use this just so we have a recent thing apparently a tb2 struck a russian fuel train a fuel significantly train. behind the lines oh that's proper world war ii isn't it like the kind of you know the video is like a picture of like the gun cams of like strafing runs on like uh yeah. fuel I'm seeing, yeah, yeah I'm literally me... on Oryx's Twitter now, I'm seeing some screenshots. Yeah, it is, um, that is, again, and Oryx was, was key with this, it is humiliation. The Russians cannot get rid of these TB2s. Like, again, the, the, the TB2s that have been conducting effective suppression of enemy air defenses with short-range guided missiles. Yeah, I mean, I'm and just trying, I'm been... just looking up the specs, I mean... The maximum speed of the TB2 is 120 knots, so around 220 kilometers an hour. The TB2 is is some sheet metal, a motorcycle engine, a pretty good optics, a pretty good optics sensor, and like some missiles basically just slapped onto the wings. I mean, okay. And the Russians yeah, it's not cannot nice. get rid of it's them. More than that. It's more than that. <laughs> I think you might. I think you might offend uh, our viewers from a certain country by making comments like that. But um, but it, it's it's. I don't done... know if I am because apparently the TB2s are the freaking you know next 
best thing since sliced bread. <laughs> no, and I mean it, it's it's been battle proven like in how many countries now? So we've got obviously we've got the Russia Ukraine war, well, the, Syria, the whole point Libya, I think, with the TV two was yeah. that. It, the TV2 never fought like a you know a good integrated air defense network, which is Until apparently what yeah. the Russians are supposed to have. But now we have TB, Ukrainian TB2s running around Kiev, you know, bombing Russian buck positions. Yes. The fact that they were allowed to get airborne is a failure in itself. Yeah. I mean, you would have thought that. You know, like these these TB twos when they were doing like training and exercises, you know, in the lead up to the war, they they were fully visible on 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 flight tracking sites. You know, you could see the airbase they took off from. You could see the airbase they landed at. It was no secret where these TB twos were being based. Yeah. And then the fact that you know this wasn't one of the first targets of the Russian initial strikes on the Thursday morning is, I don't know, maybe did they think that they could handle them when they did eventually get able? Were they not? They're still focusing on maybe like you know the kind of manned aircraft, which a lot of you know a lot of the targets were. Um, it just it just doesn't make any sense to me. I I get the impression that the Russians were overly confident, and and perhaps you know perhaps they had every right to be. I mean, if you'd said to me three months ago when we were sort of initially discussing the possibility of a Russian invasion on the podcast, mm -hmm. I probably would have said, yeah, Russia will will manage to pretty much flatten Ukraine in a week maybe less but no, i agree i think the russians probably had that very same thought process and at the end of the day when you've got 190,000 odd troops on the border of this country and you've got various air assets you've moved in and you know goodness knows how many uh, like ground vehicles of all various shapes sizes and types and all the air defense systems that the russians have brought in and you've got belarus helping you out you know okay maybe they had a right to be confident in their ability but i think a combination of the ukrainian people being incredibly tenacious in the way that they have conducted themselves and the fact that perhaps the russians didn't throw everything into this fight from day one and are now being made to look very very stupid for it when it's a little bit too late now to sort of surprise the ukrainians with it mm-hmm the, the, the Russians, the, they genuinely look like they're going to lose this and lose it quite badly, don't they? Yeah, I mean, I, as things stand, you know, you know, today in the evening of the, of the fifth day, you know, it's definitely looking a lot more positive for Ukraine than it was on, should we say, you know, midnight Wednesday night ahead of the invasion, which is when um, it seemed obviously, you know, the, the US originally uh, said they had intelligence that it was going to be the 16th. Um, and of course, I, I mean, I know why they said that, um, you know, maybe to, you know, let the Russians know that they know and get them to call it off, you know, kind of a last throw of the dice kind of thing. Um, and of course, when it didn't happen, as you know, we, I don't, I think when Russia, when the US made that announcement, I think everyone, you know, in our, in our chats was in agreement. Okay. Well, it's, it's definitely not going to happen on these dates anymore. Even if it was planned to, it's, it's no longer going to happen because, you know, if if you're playing, I don't know, anything, you, you're in any kind of sport or you're playing a game of chess, if someone says, oh, I know you're going to do this move, you, you it would make absolutely zero sense to make that move. <laughs> unless unless you were com very, very confident that it was still the best thing to do. Um, so when, you know, when Russia didn't invade on the 16th, I don't think anyone was particularly surprised. Yeah. Um, of course, you've got the, 
you know, Russian state media um, gloat in and, and, and saying, you know, it's, of course they did, um, which then makes it even more ridiculous. When, you know, when was the 16th? It was 12 days ago. Um, almost exactly a week, I think almost exactly a week later when they did then launch the invasion of Ukraine, um, just makes it absolutely ridiculous. Um, but, yeah, I think with with the US, you know, kind of showing the intelligence they had, it kind of spooked Russia a little bit. Um, and it's kind of led to, uh, from from what we've seen on the ground, you know, soldiers being sent into Ukraine with no idea where they're going, no idea what they're doing, no idea what their orders are. Um, yeah. Their phones no taken away from them. They had, yeah. you know, and I, and I think I mentioned this on the last podcast episode is that Russians don't have the best navigation tools down to like, you know, the squad level and the effective fire team level. Um so it's a bit easier for them to get, you know, lost while driving around and while, you know, moving around. Um, I, I think one of the other main issues is that there's been a general... I think the Russians went in first thinking that the Ukrainians would just roll over a la 2014. And they could just, you know, walk into Kiev and, you know, green men sit on the, you know, front steps uh, of of the, the presidential... Uh, headquarters and everything and, and just say they own the place and then that didn't happen and then their second idea was well we need to limit you know civilian casualties let's try to you know push through and avoid the cities and just head towards kiev and and try to basically make the russia or the ukrainian army fall in the field and then that didn't work because the ukrainian army fought a very effective fighting retreat back towards kiev and they're still you know fighting in kharkiv and they managed to keep themselves organized and, you know, raise up territorial defense force units and start distributing weapons to reservists. But then the Russians are sort of stuck in a point where I think that was yesterday or mm -hmm. it technically because the podcast delayed two days ago by the time you're probably listening to this. But um, we saw Russian forces try to make assaults. Um, you know, VDV-based uh, into both Kiev and Kharkiv. Um, we saw a primarily foot mobile recon-based assault into Kharkiv that just got absolutely destroyed. Um, and then also we saw a, a mechanized VDV assault that was a bit lighter, but was trying to just, you know, take uh, Ivaniv. Um, and it, it, the Ukrainians performed a, a very effective um, ambush and pretty much destroyed two com or, or a company's worth of uh, mechanized forces. Um, and, and so we've just, we've seen these Russian errors in strategy, but it's understandable errors. It, yeah. I don't think it's something the Russians have been able to sort of keep going, and I feel like they're going to make adjustments. No, exactly. And obviously, like you said, they were definitely avoiding major population centers when they first moved in. They kind of tried to encircle, um, you know, Kharkiv in the north, which is, I believe, only around 40 kilometers from the Russian border. So obviously they reached that city very, very quickly on day one. Um, and of course, you know, and here we are, day five, they still haven't managed to get a, a, a foothold in the city, um, which is obviously unsurprisingly caused, well, what I'm going to politely put as some frustration, obviously, in the Russian ranks when we saw... Uh, for the first time, like real indiscriminate shelling of of the city this morning. Um, that was and... a change, and honestly, that deserves its own singular section because 
it's, it's, that was it's really really hard to watch it? yeah it's, it's it's one of those things that yes russia was always going to be capable of doing something like that but i don't think we ever really expected them to turn around and just start as you say indiscriminately shelling cities um no i mean you look at syria for example where you know russia have been not only complicit but involved in some truly horrific crimes against humanity in, in syria over the last mm. um i can't remember exactly what year they they, they formally entered the war i want to say maybe uh, 13 14 i believe maybe even earlier i don't think it was earlier. Oh, I think the, it might the have been around. russians entered syria in because i fucking remember when this happened <laughs> we're gonna bleep that one out um or not i'll decide because i edit this darn thing <laughs> Um, oh, 2015. Um, 2015. Yeah, I, I, I believe it was later than that. Yeah, because they, no. they, they entered at a time when it was really bad for the uh, Syrians. Um, yeah. So obviously by 2015, Assad was obviously, you know, well on his... Um, I don't even know what to call it. Just... Massacre throughout the country. Just, you know, again, absolutely horrific shelling, barrel bombs, chemical attacks. You name it throughout the country. And obviously Russia at that time were... You know, involved the the intervened on the side of Assad, and obviously from that point on, we're we're complicit in his crimes. And then obviously, then over the last well, you know, seven years now, have carried out many many of their own. Um, you know, strikes against hospitals, strikes against civilian infrastructure. Um, you know, a lot of it against like oil infrastructure in in the north of Syria. You know, trying to stop these people from being self sufficient. Um, so you know, it's it's no surprise. Everyone knows that. Russia was capable of, of stuff like this. I just don't think anyone, and again, my, myself included, if you'd asked me, would you know, do you think Russia going to start indiscriminately shelling, you know, Ukrainian cities? I would say no, not a chance, because they need they need to win the propaganda war, don't they? They if they're going to overthrow the Zelensky government, which is, is not going to happen, he's probably the most popular uh, president Ukraine have had in their entire history at the moment. Um, 91% approval rating, I yeah, think, today. Absolutely. Yeah, he's, he's, he's the most popular uh, world leader right now, I would suggest. No, I, I think you're probably spot on with that. And, and I, I know, know Comrade Kim they... still has 100% approval rating. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. Um, I know, like, I, like, definitely I was very critical of, of Zelensky in the lead-up to the war, in the, in the kind of um, how he seemed to be burying his head in the sand mm. and ignoring the signs that, you know, the war was coming and coming quick. And, I, and you know, I definitely wasn't the only one that was very yeah. critical of him. You know, a lot a lot of people were. Um, but again, I, I, as critical as we were, I think it was also very understandable that he was trying to protect, protect whilst, you know, kind of desperately hoping that the, the invasion never happened. You know, if he came out and was... I guess admitted that it was a very real possibility then that's when the panic starts that's when the economy goes you know belly up that's when you know you're, you're yeah, his, much his doing thinking Russia's was understandable mm -hmm. at the end of the day it was flawed but hindsight is 2020 exactly it's not like exactly. he was i i mean he kind of i i don't know i i still think that he could have done a bit more to prepare Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I wasn't the one calling the shots at the time, and I don't really, you know, get to make those criticisms. No, no, exactly. I mean, what's the population of Ukraine? Is it like 70, 80 million? 
Um, uh, 42, right? Oh, for, I was like, oh, okay. I, I was just looking at the size of the country again. And I was like, you know, yeah, I was like, obviously sick. expected it to be a lot more. It's, um, yeah, no, that's, that does, that's surprising. I think I did know that, but I just slipped my mind there. 44, okay, it's so 44 million, but yeah, still, you're okay. in charge of 44 million people. Um, again, I'm not sure if that number includes the Donbass region, which I believe is maybe another 2 million in that region. Um, so but you call it 44, 46, maybe. Um, million people. But yeah, when, when you're in charge of that many people, it, I guess it's fair, no matter what he did, he would have been criticised for it. Um, so he was, in, he, was, he was between a rock and a hard place. But, you know, regardless of what he did before the war, his actions since the war started have been absolutely incredible. Like, you know, he's he's out, um, you know, he's walking the streets with, with his people. I, I believe he's even been carrying a rifle around. I don't believe he's on the front lines. Um, but the fact that he's just out and about when, you know, there's, there's, there's definitely a, 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 I'd say, larger than a, <laughs> a slim chance that there's, you know, plans to assassinate him, you know, which would obviously make him a martyr at this stage. But it, there's, there's definitely, I would say, you know, at least the idea of a plan that maybe, you know, to, to kind of remove Zelensky from one way or the other. I remember um, an so interview with he's... Zelensky, and I believe it was 2017, um, when he very specifically and, and in a very concise manner managed to, you know, sort of explain what his leadership style was um and it, it basically boiled down to you know lead from the front um even yep. though some people hate me and view me you know as a comedian as you know a joke i'll you know by the time i leave office i intend to you know make them believe that i'm for real um which i i, I think he's done <laughs> I, I i don't see the, anything that you know that disputes that at this point but um I definitely think there is that element of, you know, leading from the front, never say die, you know, don't give me a plane out of here, give me more munitions. Um, that's such a... Yeah. That's going to be an iconic quote. Like, it, it, it almost doesn't seem real, does it? It, it seems... Um, if you saw that in, like, in, a, in an action movie, you'd say it's the cheesiest line you've ever heard in your entire life, kind of thing. But the fact that it's, it's real, it's... it's um, it's absolutely insane. Yeah, I, I think and... the official translation was, "I don't need a ride; I need more ammunition." Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, and Which for is... those of you who aren't aware, that that was in response to the Americans offering Zelensky a, a flight out of Ukraine to safety. Yeah, and... Yeah, and and of course, you know, Western powers responded by giving him a lot of munitions. <laughs> yeah. um, so I, I I generally think there's. And that's the other thing. Zelensky has been very good, very incredibly good at interfacing with Western powers, at making himself super presentable, at, at, you know, at negotiating and working very closely with those West, with the European countries and with the United States. I think that's been a super important thing. Um, because again, it's allowed him to, you know, do things like procure a ridiculous number of N laws and a ridiculous number of javelins and more stingers, and you know, now the EU is going to send them replacement fighter jets, and yeah. it's just it, it's sort of this snowballing situation where I, I'm not saying the Russians aren't going to win because I again I I won't say that because they we don't probably will, um, 
but the the main thing with that is that the Ukrainians have won, held on far longer than anyone thought they would. I mean, they still freaking hold Kharkiv. That's that's just unbelievable at this point. Um, though the Russians and Sumy as well, right? Do they still hold Sumy? The, as well? I think there's still heavy fighting in Sumy. Um, but again, that's another city that, um, again, just for you know people who may not know, it's again maybe 30, 40 kilometers from the Russian border. Um, and 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 I'm looking at the um. The, the Wikipedia map of the invasion, which is, again, as everything Wikipedia does, is is absolutely fantastic. It's just very clear to see where the front lines are and where the kind of lines of um, advance are. And, you know, you can kind of see, look, it looks like they tried to take Sumi very early on and have not given up on it, but have pushed on towards well, it was Kiev. their original It was their original theory, which was just bypass things. Unfortunately, that's ended up mm. with them having rear column formations getting ambushed and destroyed and it, that isn't exactly great but um i i mean the the other issue there is that's changed we saw that change this morning in kharkiv um yeah i mean they they hit a an, an urban area with cluster munitions and a lot of them mm -hmm. um do you, does anyone know what the actual death toll was i i saw i saw I'm, 12, but I imagine I'm seeing real. 12 I'm right now, 12, yeah. though people indicate that it's higher. I mean, if you if you look at what happened, it was um, particularly horrifying uh, because, I mean, they struck a, a, a dense urban residential area early in the afternoon and anyone who was outside uh, was killed. Um, yeah. And it, it was... So it's not the first time they've, you know, their use of, of cluster munitions have killed. So I mean, the um, the kindergarten in this is uh, the worst one I've seen in a while. Yeah, um, I can't remember where that kindergarten was struck. Not the one that was in the Donbass region that was hit by a shell. There was another one, wasn't there, that was being used as a bomb shelter, uh, maybe two days ago now. And I'm trying to look at the oh, map. I would, I would have to dig that up. Um, but yeah, yeah that was um, that was another circumstance where I think that was in the Sumi region. Um, this yeah, though it was, was like... different. The, the the kindergarten, you can say, might have been an accident. It looks like it was a single rocket. This was a large-scale artillery mm -hmm. assault aimed at a residential area. Yeah, and I... And I, I... Utilizing cluster munitions. This was... The, one, not only was this purposeful, this uh -huh. must have... The, the order to do this must have been given at a pretty high level. They knew what they were doing by doing this. This wasn't like an accident. Oh, this wasn't like, you know, a random low-level person does something stupid and you know, commits a war crime or some evil person low down, you know, kills a person. No, this is institutionalized. This is an institutional war crime. This is something that was commanded from a fairly high position in order to get something like this to happen. It, this no, reflects definitely. a change in strategy. Yeah, and you know nothing's been confirmed from, um, you know, there's, there's, there's been rumors, hasn't there, that Putin is furious with lack of of gains at the moment and furious with the lack. He's got he's got nothing to show the Russian people um, that this has all been worth it at the moment. So the idea that maybe you know the orders have come down that. Okay, you you need to take Kharkiv now. You need to take Sumy. You need to take Mariupol, for example. Um, 
you know, we we need. It's been five days, and we have nothing to show for it uh, as such at the moment. Um, you know, may have come down the line, and as a result of that, um, and as well, you know, like it, it, you know, I'd like to think it's only a coincidence, but you know, there was a video yesterday of the Kharkiv mayor speaking to civilians, saying, you know, the, the times kind of come in that we need to, you know, maybe make a deal with the Russians to save civilian lives. Um, and, you know, a, a day late, or not even a day later, 12 hours later, you know, the Russians hugely shell the city with cluster munitions killing, like I said, at least 11 or 12 at the moment. So it's very possible that that attack was purposeful to kind of, again, you know, with, with the Kharkiv mayor kind of already saying that, you know, they, they don't want civilian casualties, and then maybe a mass casualty event like this might push the city a little bit closer to just surrender um obviously it could absolutely have the other effect and kind of harden the people's resolves and mm. make things a lot lot more difficult for the russians and like like you know to kind of segue a little bit there you know we we saw obviously a lot of the rifles and being handed out to civilians and people being told to make molotov cocktails and such but we hadn't really seen much kind of partisan um action until today um, you know, I've, I've personally seen um, a kind of a drive-by Molotoving of a Russian armored column, which was interesting. Um, it seems to be run kind of successful as well. You know, the tracks on an armored vehicle definitely caught light um, and were burning. Um, and then, of course, there was the RPG fired at um, a vehicle with a speaker on top telling everyone to kind of remain calm, right? I believe that was the second one. Yeah, I think um, OSINT Defender um, shared a tweet a short while ago in, in, in our little group chat. Um, apparently, Ukrainian citizens are throwing Molotov cocktails at the Russians as they tow their broken tanks back to Russia. Jesus. And that's, that's another thing. I, are these, again, I've seen that these, you know, the uh, the tanks and other vehicles are running out of fuel. Um, but again there's also been the suggestion that you know they're not running out of fuel so much as that you know these soldiers are dumping the fuel and abandoning the vehicles because you know a lot again like russia and ukraine first and foremost they they they're nations that border each other they have a shared language they have a shared culture you know there's families you know on both sides of the border um and for a lot of these soldiers to be told to suddenly invade a city in which you you know, it, it's it's not quite civil war, but it's very, very close, I imagine, for a lot of both Ukrainian and Russian soldiers. Um, the difference, you know, the Ukrainians have is they're defending their land. Um, you know, they they're not gonna they're not gonna be as hesitant, should we say, about killing you know occupiers, invaders, as you know, Russian soldiers might be of you know shooting. You know, a lot of you know people they might. You know, they might, you know, especially the border cities, again, like Kharkiv, Sumy, um, stuff like that, you know, it's, again, it's, it's 30, 40, 50 kilometers to the border. Mm. That's, you know, in, in a car, a 45-minute drive, an hour drive, it's, it's absolutely nothing. Well, there's um, also the question of, and I know this has been sort of a, a real question, is, again, the Russians are... I, I don't like the statement, never attribute, you know, malice to something that could be stupidity. But, I mean, the the Russians aren't stupid. There is a oh, reason God, no. why things are happening. I mean, someone over at uh, RUSI, um, I believe it was uh, Justin Bronk, actually made a great argument. And I'll actually, because this was actually a good enough argue, 
article that I'm going to link this below um, that talks about why the Russian Air Force hasn't gotten more involved. And uh, effectively, from what I've seen, um, I mean, he presents several potential factors, um, one of which is the lack of precision-guided munitions, which, again, I've talked about before, um, it, which could cause issues for, you know, uh, VKS fighters. I mean, you would see issues with that. Um, and so they would they would have to go in close with unguided munitions and risk getting shot down because, again, the Ukrainian short-range air defense is pretty mature and... and is a real problem um but the 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 other problem and again it, it all comes back to this issue of of precision guided munitions and unguided munitions um one of the strikes we saw in kharkiv this morning was most likely conducted by you know a, an su-25 or sorry an su-34 um it you know this brand new four plus generation jet um but most likely utilized a bomb that was 70 years old in design, probably older. Uh, it was an unguided Fab 500. Um, and one, I think they dropped two, one failed to explode. But uh, there's this issue, and again, it's why we haven't, again, it's my argument. There are people who have disagreed with me on this, and, and I will give the disclaimer who are much, much more, you know, they're much more Russia experts than I am. But um, my argument has always been one of the main reasons that um, Russia hasn't been able to completely, A, destroy the Ukrainian Air Force, you know, destroy Ukrainian supply links is because they just they don't have the material to do it. Um, they would actually have to get down and, you know, deploy uh, fighter aircraft to do short range to, you know, do short range interdiction and, you know, actually get up close to the enemy, um, which risks a lot of fighter aircraft. Um, on, on top of that, I, I, I do think that the number of calibers they've used, which is their main cruise missile, I mean, I think they've depleted a large portion of their stock of those missiles. Um, mm -hmm. the 80 to, you know, 150 they've used so far, yeah, that's probably most of their stock. Um, those were used mostly in the first couple of days. Um, and we only saw, you know, two or three hit, hit each Ukrainian airbase, um, combined with some ballistic missile strikes. I mean, if you look at most Ukrainian air bases, they're still pretty functional. Um, at most of the Ukrainian aircraft losses, they, they have lost some on the ground, but a lot they lost in the air, causing issues for the Russians. Um, so you've just, you've seen, I think, this maturation of an issue that started with the collapse of the Soviet Union. It's that just the Russians have less money to play with. And there was an argument for a while that the Russians were doing more with less. And I think what we've learned is that it's pretty hard to do that. And you end up being in these compromised situations where yet yeah, you're going to have to, you know, start laying down unguided rockets into civilian areas because, you know, you need to get out the 30 or 40 Ukrainian troops in there, and there's no other way to do it. Um, and you basically have these things where you're forced to do horrific things in order to win. And that's just, you know, they didn't want to do that in the first week, the first few days of the war. And now it's not that they're being forced to, they are making the choice to do this. They are making the choice to do these things. They're making the choice to, you know, drop cluster munitions on on civilian areas to 
honestly, I don't know what Kharkiv was. I I, I legitimately think it was a demonstration of what they could do um, today because we didn't see it in any other cities yet. But we have seen them start to mass the troops and mass the material in order to do these large-scale assaults with heavy artillery support and just, you know, cause a huge amount of damage to these cities, which is going to make them look even worse and worse in the international eyes because they are objectively committing crimes against humanity. Like, it's just what they're doing. I, I mean, you're, they're going to become even more isolated than they already are. It's not going to get better. And, yeah. and, I, and I mean, the Ukrainians at, are going to continue oh. to fight because the more you do stuff like that, the more they get hardened against you. Like, if they kill Zelensky at this point, he's he would become a, a, a folk martyr. hero. Yeah. He'd be a martyr. He'd be a folk hero. It wouldn't matter anymore. I, I, I think one of those... It, it's just this essential issue where the Russians thought something fundamentally different than the reality of the situation committed a bunch of troops to invasion and now it's falling apart on them and they're basically no, no. they're going to be forced to either negotiate with the ukrainians and get nothing out of this or do some horrifying things in order to get something out of it and i don't think it's going to be pretty so that's what i was going to say you have to think of what putin's original goal was so again like like you mentioned it's you know, it looks like they were trying to. That was his goal. Yeah, so they were trying to rush Kiev. Assume everyone would just lay down their arms, be very grateful that you know Russia had come to save them from Nazis, um, and he'd be able to you know very quickly in, you know, put in a um, a puppet and you know be able to you know walk back to Moscow on a bed of roses. I think that was kind of his his dream for what would happen in Ukraine. Um, and again, very quickly, again, obviously the people rallied behind Zelensky. Um, and showed that you know he's got massive support, um, and like I kind of I said on Twitter, you know that any kind of Russian puppet that would even if even if Kiev did fall, any Russian puppet put in that city at the moment is going to have a life um, you know life expectancy measured in days if not hours. You know it's absolutely not feasible. You know anyone that would took that job is is would you know it, it, they, they would well, know it. Depends it, you know, on what the Russians long. intend on doing before making a, an assault into a city. Do they plan on leveling the city? with mm -hmm. selective fire support and just basically level section by section and then assault it or i mean the i mean the problem is at this point the russians have two options really 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 ugly you know street to street fighting you know i.e basically turn this into the ukrainian stalingrad or or chechnya or or, or chechnya which would be bad or they can negotiate with the Ukrainians, but the Ukrainians have pretty much put their negotiating position as Fuck off. you guys completely <laughs> leave, like yeah. no conditions, yeah. get, leave Crimea as well. Um, so you're, you're just in this position where there is no real win for the Russians at this point. No, exactly. Like I said, they... Correction, they can win. They can objectively have mm -hmm. a win on the field. They're going to walk away with more than 10,000 dead soldiers, a massive amount of their armored formations taking significant losses. and Ruined economy. Ruined economy, and the entire international community, including China and India, hating them. Yeah. yeah. And I think that the vote of the UN Security Council the other day is rather telling of just how badly wrong the Russian politicians have got this, because... When even China, 
who would normally veto any UN Security Council resolution that Russia vetoes turns around and abstains from the vote. Mm-hmm. I think I think that says a lot, really, about what you know Ch- China's view of Russia's actions is, and the rest of the world. No, I agree. Eleven votes in favour of the motion. The only vote against being Russia and the remainder of the 15 being abstentions that that, that that's you know we're, we're talking Cuban Missile Crisis type UN Security Council voting there really yeah and I think like China abstaining is again absolutely huge mm. again it's it's there's almost not not quite a middle finger to Russia but it's Definitely not looking him in the eye when, when Russia's looking around for uh, for allies, isn't it? Yeah. It's definitely China looking away and pretending they haven't seen it. Um, and you know that's going to be a huge, huge um, blow to you know to Moscow. Um, and again, you know, you know, Putin—they've they, got—they've again five days into the war, they've lost, well, not lost, but they've alienated you know one of the biggest allies um you know i'm sure you guys remember in the lead up to the war there was the whole china signing on to say you know nato expansion should stop and then russia coming out and mm-hmm. saying that taiwan belongs to china and uh, that was like really really worrying for for a period of time then because yeah. it was like this here's this new alliance forming um anti-nato kind of um i mean what what what's the uh, what's the AUKUS is it I guess in the uh, Australia US um, yeah I mean again that was a primarily Indo Pacific yeah alliance but I'm saying like you know Russia China alliance yeah it's definitely you know like China back in Russia and Europe and then Russia back in China in in Asia um, is is definitely something which concerned a lot of people and now. I mean, first of all, I think like China's going to be looking at this. Um, I'm looking at Taiwan, who have a lot more sophisticated weapon systems than the Ukrainians have, mm. um, and a much bigger air force, a much bigger functional air force, and and so yeah. on. And thinking, you know, is is an invasion to, into Taiwan going to be worth it at this stage? You know, especially if they can't get it done quickly or as yeah. quickly as they're expecting. I mean, they're, it, you know, they're leaving it, they're leaving the door open for it. To be honest. Mm. And again, the the other issue with uh, a fight with Taiwan is Americans generally support going to war with China over Taiwan at this point, um, which yeah. again is something we've talked about before. Yes, um, it is. Yeah. But I think the Chinese are looking at this again and thinking the Russians are having this large of just a mess trying to do this. We're either going to have to level Taiwan in the process mm-hmm. and fight a horrible war. Or, you know, maybe we just leave Taiwan alone and keep doing what we're doing and maybe continue projecting power into the South China Sea where no one can really oppose us in a realistic manner. Hmm. I I really, really think that China is taking a step back after this, looking and seeing, wow, this might not be the best idea because one, we'll be ostracized for the international community and two, Hmm. we might not win. Like, there's a legitimate chance yeah. that we might lose, which would be a disaster. Yeah. Because um, one of the and... things I've mentioned before about Taiwan is, and, the, and the U.S. is, um, you know, if, if China can invade Taiwan very, very quickly, 
um, and kind of get a foothold on the island. There is very little that the U.S. or anyone can do to stop them. Um, I, I don't you know. know. At I know this point, no one knows. Like, no, no, that's what I'm saying. So, like, if with uh, with Russia, you know, struggling to get to Kiev, which is you know maybe 50 kilometers from the Belarusian border, mm. um, and again, Taiwan is a, a very small country. I mean, I'm just looking on Google Maps now. I'm trying to get an idea of how far uh, across it. So it's about 120 kilometers wide. I mean, you, you, um, you got to remember, about... Taiwan um, has a population of what? 23 million. 20, 24 million. It, it, it's 14,000 square miles. It, a large chunk of it is extremely mountainous terrain that is not impassable, but extremely difficult to, I mean, you wouldn't be using mechanized forces at all. Um, the the problem with that as well is Taiwan has turned themselves into not a fortress island per se, but it'd be ugly for the Chinese to try to get across yeah. um, and, and land troops there. And I I think the 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 end problem with this is and connecting it to, back to Ukraine I think is more pro, is more appropriate. But I, I don't think China wants to risk that, especially because of just the general risks now. Now throw in the fact that, you know, hey, maybe soft power or a combo of soft and hard power in the South China Sea might, you know, lead them towards more gains than actually fighting a war against anything. Because if you're in the South China Sea and you're taking a bunch of reefs, those aren't countries. No. They aren't going to fight back. Um, and if, you know, say a misunderstanding happens in the South China Sea and the U.S. and China starts shooting at each other. There's going to be much less of an international backlash because it's probably going to be a more convoluted situation than China straight up just invading Taiwan. Um, because if something were to happen in the South China Sea, it would probably happen with an accidental incident between the U.S. and China. So, I, I just... I feel like at this point there might be some people taking a step back in China and, and just looking at the situation from a more objective plane. No, I agree. Um, or they're panicking and they're saying, shoot, we need to do this sooner rather than later. Yeah, yeah, do it while Russia's already the bad guy. You know, if we're both the bad guys, at least they can back each other a little bit. You know, if there's two guys that are trying to be ostracized, at least they can... You know, support. I think that's far less in... likely, but yeah. again, yeah, no, I agree. Knows? I don't think it's likely at all. But I mean, I don't think they're in the position right now to do anything anyway. So there is that as well. No, no. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think again, if you look at the issue as a whole, um, Russia has failed with what they wanted to do. You know, at the outset, they just they didn't get that. Yeah. If you saw the leaked stuff, it was very clear. That they wanted to install public government within 48 hours. Yeah, and obviously that matches up with what I mentioned earlier with the um, the Russian state media having an, having an article ready to go two days into the war, that, yeah. you know, declaring victory more or less. They had a plan. That plan did not work. Recalculating at this point. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, it seems like the next, the thing that might be going Russia's way at the moment is the battle for Mariupol. Um that you know, obviously the the southern part of Ukraine has been where they've had, you know, for the, they've had a lot of success. You're forcing um, us to make actual tactical observations, which are going to be wrong by the time it's released <laughs> anyway. 
Yeah, I know. But I mean, it seems at the moment, um, yeah, that the battle for Mariupol is going Russia's way. Um, I believe, you know, as of last night, they were around 45 kilometers away from the city. Um, I believe that's shorter now. Obviously, I'm not going to, again, I'm not going to say an exact number. Um, but yeah, they're, they're advancing from from the west. They obviously they captured the city of Berdyansk um, yesterday, which is a port on on the uh, Sea of Azov, um, and carried on advancing towards Mariupol, which has been a strategic goal for Russia and the um, the DPR separatists in the Donetsk region since the war started in 2014. That was where a lot of there's a lot a lot of heavy fighting in Mariupol in 2014, 2015. Um, of course, they didn't capture the city. Uh, there was a notorious incident of um, rocket fire being directed at the city in 2015, I believe, um, which again killed a number of civilians. I mean, hopefully we don't see anything like that again. Um, but it seems at the moment they're advancing on free fronts towards the city. There's not many, um, you know, armies in the world that could that can withstand, you know, a, a, an assault on free fronts, especially one where um, like, well, you know, when they, when you know, part of their army is also fighting on another six or seven fronts in the, all over the country. You know, it's not just one sea. Um, yes, yeah, so it seems like in the next. I, mean, I, I, say, I think at this point, the, the Russians do have a, the. The issue isn't the the forces that Russia has arrayed. That's not the problem. The mm -hmm. problem is is that they gave themselves restricted engagement uh, parameters, which you know is is understandable um so that's that's one element i think the other big element that you have to remember is that you know they they could do or they could perform a frontal-ish assault on uh on ukrainian positions in, in kiev and and in in those places um sorry i'm now having to okay mariupol surrounded so yeah, <laughs> I was waiting for you to was waiting for a weird place to jump in. But I mean, at this point, and I think this is the issue that people forget, is that Russia could very easily take these cities. Mm -hmm. In the process, though, they would commit heinous crimes. Yeah. Um. Where, you know, they would level cities or, or, or use large cluster munitions on civilian areas. I think they sent a message today that they were willing to do it yeah. in their, in, correction, in their strike on Kharkiv that was an objective crime against humanity. Mm. It was a war crime. Period. End of story. It was. Killed a lot of people. Yeah. Injured even more. And they broadcast that they were willing to do that to other places. Mm -hmm. They were very clear about that. Yeah. It was a negotiation tactic, and that's probably the most horrifying part about it. Yeah. I mean, it was very shortly after the uh, negotiation started, wasn't it, in, uh, in Belarus? I mean, it, it was, was literally exactly about the right same as time. negotiations started. The first one happened, then the second one happened. Yeah. Mm hmm. They were communicating the fact that they had the material to do that, and they were willing to do that. Yeah, and I think we should say that like negotiations, um, they ended with, with nothing today, didn't they? I believe 
uh, Ukraine formally applied for EU membership and negotiations ended maybe like five minutes after that, unsurprisingly. Yeah. Um, so uh, as things stand, so this is now 8 p.m. on 28th of February. Um, yeah, peace talks kind of broke down. Um, according to a user in the UK defense community Discord, uh, Mariupol is now completely surrounded this evening. So obviously the uh, the Battle of Flat Sea is expected tonight and in the coming days. Um, John, what were you going to say? Sorry, I kind of cut into you. I'm just going to hop in and say with the, the diplomacy side of things, I think Russia has sort of woefully missed the concept of speak softly and carry a big stick. Um, I feel like the way that they went into these talks today, and, and particularly with, as you say, the, the, the strikes that then occurred within minutes of the starts of the meeting, they've kind of gone, instead of speaking softly and carrying the stick, they've gone straight into the meeting and started throwing the stick around the room. Um, probably a bit of a crude way of, 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 of looking at it, but at, at the end of the day, they they were adamant they wanted to deal with things diplomatically, and then they've gone and straight away they have started doing things that ultimately the Ukrainians are, are looking at it and probably thinking, hmm... Maybe, maybe we don't want to negotiate. Maybe we just need to, to keep fighting. Yeah. And again, in the negotiations, obviously, in the, in the over the last year, Russia have made a lot of noise about the uh, the war in the Donbass um, and the so-called acclaimed genocide against Russians in the Donbass, which is mm. just absolute fantasy. Um, and claiming, you know, the... Yeah, and, and of course, then it was the, the sending of the peacekeepers into the Donbass region and the recognition of the DPR and LPR as independent countries. Yeah. So it seemed like they were definitely... They were making a, a lot of song and dance about being like, okay, this is about the Donbass, it's only about the Donbass. Um, and I even I started to kind of believe it. I was like, okay, you know what? They, they probably are going to invade, but they, they're going to just, you know, invade to help the DPR and LPR take the rest of the Donetsk and Luhansk regions. And that'll be it. Um, you know, even in my kind of worst case scenarios, um, I didn't see Russia making a run on Kiev. I, I, I saw the troops there as being almost like a um, insurance to stop Ukraine committing further troops to the east. So, you know, they, they start war in Donbass and to prevent, you know, Ukraine pushing all their troops east, they, they kind of leave a force near Kiev to kind of you know, force Ukraine to defend that front if and when it happened. I never actually expected um, Russia to make a play for the city. Yeah. Um, so I, I was, I'm guessing, you know, maybe as surprised as, um, you know, if we just believe a lot of world leaders when Russia eventually did, um, you know, go for Kiev. So the, the, obviously the whole Donbass region, thing, it was all just, you know, smoke and mirrors. I don't think Russia cares at all about native or sorry not native ethnic russians in the donbass region mm. i'm no, sure he says he does because it was a wedge no. to make sure ukraine couldn't join nato yes exactly yeah, yeah. and you know i i mean yeah there's not that much that could be done about that there there really isn't at that at the end of the day look the ukrainians are going to have to if the Ukrainians want to remain a country, they're going to have to beat the Russians. Yeah. They 
could at this point do it. There is a possibility. They Definitely not make in it. their favor. They would have to pull a lot of shit out of their hats. Yeah. They mm-hmm. they would really have to pull some stuff off. Um they are they are ultimately it, fighting for their survival. And uh, as I tweeted earlier in the week, a, a nation's army is never more dangerous than when they are on their own soil fighting for their very existence. You know, you, it's it's a completely different mindset to sending troops mm-hmm. overseas to fight in a war whatever, you know, justification there might be for that war. When when your troops are fighting for your own country to, you know, ensure that A, it continues to exist and B, that your families and your friends are still there when it's all over, that, you know, again, as we've said so many times already this episode, the Russians really underestimated the resolve of the Ukrainian people. I think they believe their own propaganda too much. Yeah. Again, I think they genuinely, genuinely believe... And, again, there's, there's absolutely propaganda on both sides. Um, but I saw, um, I believe it was on Reddit earlier, there was apparently a, a mobile phone taken from a killed Russian soldier. And there was text messages, you know, to his mother in which, you know, he was saying, you know, they were told they were Nazis, they were told that they were going to be liberators, they were told that they were fighting Nazism... Um, and then when they've got to Ukraine, they've found just ordinary people kind of standing in the streets, blocking tank columns. Um, not unlike, you know, the gentleman down in the square in 89, I want to say. Um, so, yeah, and, you know, I'm being called fascists and having, you know, bricks and rocks thrown at them. And I believe there's even a video this morning of just one Ukrainian, <laughs> looked like quite an elderly fellow, just walking up to a Russian soldier and punching him in the face. It is, you know, they're, they're absolutely not being greeted as liberators as they seem to think they were going to be. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, I don't even think it was propaganda fed to the soldiers. I believe, you know, Putin himself thought that they were going to be greeted as liberators when they came into Ukraine. And, you know, people were going to be happy that, that the Russians were, were here to save them from, you know, the evil uh, Nazi Kiev regime, which, again, fantasy. Um, and, you know, even, even if, you know, kind of go into the, um, you know, Putin's speech uh, ahead of the recognition of, of the Donbass and uh, Luhansk republics, um, it, it seemed like a lot of the you know, Russian officials were not on board with the plan, should we say, especially Lavrov, yeah. um, the Russian uh, foreign minister? Yeah, foreign, he's yes. foreign minister, right? Yeah, he is. Um, yeah, I, I, I got confused, confused between him and, and it's the yeah, the Minister of Defence. Um, but yeah, it seemed Lavrov, um, there was a, a great screenshot scene. Uh, obviously, obviously, you know, screenshots can be taken out of context. Um, but it was at the moment when Putin mentioned recognition and the camera was on Lavrov and he was, it looked like cringing, <laughs> massively cringing. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, that, even, oh, sorry, go on. Go on, there was that, that, there was that video as well um, of Putin having that meeting with senior officials and that exchange between him and the head of his intelligence community. And it was very apparent, for, for those of you who haven't seen the video, um, some people put uh, the English translation over the top, and it was very obvious from the body language and the way in which both Putin and, and, and his head of intelligence were talking that this guy was not singing from the same hymn sheet when it came to 
recognizing these two uh, parts of Ukraine as independent states. Um, mm -hmm. and, 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 and even, you know, I, I get the impression he was very not very much not on board with any idea of using military force for it as well. And I don't know how many others in the room probably felt the same way, but Putin's response was very... What's, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, not condescending towards him, but... It's very dismissive, wasn't it? Yes, yeah. They got, I, I think condescending is the right word, word. You know, there was a bit of a grin on his face, it seemed, when he was enjoying dressing him down. Not dressing him down, but, you know, there was very clearly disagreement. Um, yeah. and, 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 of course, but then, of course, that was, you know, maybe two examples um, in a room of maybe 15 senior officials and Putin. Hmm. So there they, 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 they was there was definitely some, I don't want to use the word dissent, which is quite a strong word, but disagreement. Um, and that was just whilst talking about uh, the recognition of the republics. Um, you know, th this wasn't even, you know, talking about a full military invasion of Ukraine as we're seeing now. Yeah. So, you know, if they were, you know, openly opposed to just recognizing the republics and worried about what the impact that might have, um, you have to imagine they were much more opposed to a full military operation. Um, and of course, these are the kind of rumours we are hearing. Um, obviously, nothing at all substantiated. Um, but the rumours that Putin has fired some some generals, that Putin has, you know, thinking about some kind of reshuffles. Um, and you know, obviously, this is leading to the rumours, well, not even rumours, the, the theories that you know, if things continue going badly for for Russia and for Putin, and if he continues acting irrationally, and if he starts maybe trying to think about dismissing his top generals yeah. it's it's not out of the question that there could be a palace coup and you know the the, the you know something which would be absolutely insane to happen yeah. um i still and, you know, think for, we're a bit far off from something oh like no i i don't think it's yeah, yeah I, I don't think it's it's likely at all the but main issue that i think badly, is is will russian commanders be willing to effectively raise a bunch of Ukrainian cities. Yeah. And that is a real question. Yeah, it, it is the million dollar question and, and we we don't have an answer ultimately because we cannot see inside the heads of the Russian generals right now. Um, you know, I'd, I'd love to be a fly on the wall in one of their meetings right now and, and see what their their mood and their morale is around all of this because i mean if if, if the the troops on the ground and the apparent morale that they've got is anything to go by um it's a any wonder really that the russian army hasn't just ground to a halt and and stopped fighting altogether Anyone got anything else to we can particularly focus on before we maybe look to wrap up? I think we've covered a lot of things, haven't we? I was going to effectively add, um, <laughs> I don't think we really leave this incident the same... It, it, I don't think the world leaves this incident the same it was before it started. Yeah. Things have fundamentally changed. Mm -hmm. They will not come... We will not return to whatever the status quo was before we just won't yeah. that's no. i think that is out of the equation um 
And in effect, I think we're going to have to sort of watch that happen and watch that occur. But I just, I, I again, lines were crossed here. Mm-hmm. Lines were significantly crossed. Um, and, you know, I mean, everyone was, at least in the West, the West was very clear about what would happen. Russia's economy would implode if you know, Putin decided to go into Ukraine. And Putin decided to do that. And again, lines were crossed. And now he's in a position where he didn't win in the first 48 hours. He didn't install a puppet government. It's very clear to legitimately most people in the world that the Ukrainians aren't going to accept him. And we'll see where it goes from there. I just, I, I, it's a horrible situation. It is really one of the worst situations i've seen because it is entirely self-inflicted yeah there, there was a single decision point made and i know the u.s was very clear about this was that putin has made his decision but he's the only person in charge of this and he is he is the one person that can say no to this and it these this was the decision of one person that's just that's that's all i can say is that it was one person who did this and it is only going to get worse for him i mean i i'm i'm kind of i'm just sitting here at the moment thinking i'm kind of surprised that ukraine's president Zelensky hasn't gotten up and given a, a pretty much word for word copy speech from um independence day you know that the whole we are not going to go quietly into the night. Um, yeah. Because I, I think it's fair to say that the, the mood in Ukraine is is reasonably good, considering what they are facing. And it's only going to get get better. And, and, and I think we've seen on social media, generally speaking, a huge um, indication of global support um for ukraine and uh, as you say russia is not going to recover from that the the world is going to be a very very different place um when all of this is over because it is it's the biggest miscalculation uh, biggest military miscalculation i think probably since hitler decided to try and invade russia in the second world war no i agree um, and I'm going back to your your comment about you know like the um, you know surprise Zelensky hasn't made the, the you know the speech. There have been some absolutely insane statements made mm. um, in terms of like impact. Um, I don't know if you saw the one. Uh, I believe it was today of the Ukrainian ambassador to the UN when he was referencing you know Putin's uh, suggestion that you know um, or you know implication of nuclear weapons. Um, when he said something along the lines of, you know, if, if Putin wants to kill himself, he doesn't need to use nukes. He just has to copy what someone did in Berlin in 1945. Yeah. And it was just like <laughs> an absolutely insane statement to make. And it kind of shows exactly in the kind of the kind of confidence that the Ukrainians have at the moment yeah. that they're coming out and making these kind of statements, you know, openly mocking and, and you know, towards Putin. Um and you know, even when they went into the you know the, the peace talks, you know, five five days into into a war with Russia, 
they went into a peace talks and demanded, um, you know, pretty much a full surrender and that Ukraine and Russia withdraws all their troops. Yeah. Um, which would be, I mean, if you'd said that again like a week ago that Ukraine would be demanded Russia surrender five days in, you know, I'd think you were insane. I'd think that was a completely ridiculous thing. Yeah. Um, I, again, I'm not sure it was a, a genuine demand, um, but definitely one in which you know they they said before they went they weren't they weren't gonna capitulate they weren't gonna give up any land they weren't gonna you know they weren't going to uh, agree to be in neutral and again reinforce that by applying for eu membership in the middle of the negotiations which is yeah. just <laughs> incredible incredible i mean i again it's not gonna be accepted is it um well i mean especially I'm we'll have to wait and see let's let's not make any predictions that will will come back to bite <laughs> us in a couple of months because that's I mean, yeah a couple of days are the way things go and speed things are happening yeah i mean it was only a couple of weeks ago that uh technical and i were having a chat with um Cassius belly and um i mean we we, we sort of said ping him see if he's still awake i, I want to bring him back on go 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 ping him <laughs> we'll, we'll, him we'll do this live um, no we'll, um, we'll... We'll, he, he, we'll do he this live. Darn it! Opinion as as did several other members of the of the community that a Russian invasion was very unlikely, if not just never going to happen. And and I think I think to be fair, we we were probably I wouldn't say fairly evenly split in the community, but I'd say that, that he definitely was, wasn't on his own thinking yeah, that he wasn't on his own. There there was respect for the opinion that him and others were expressing. Um, that this wasn't going to happen, um, and, and I can see where he was coming from. You know, like yeah. s since 2014, when Russia invaded the first time, I mean, there's been multiple, multiple false alarms. Um, I believe 2018 and 2020 as well. Uh, there was, you know, a genuine concern that that Russia was planning to invade. There was a massive uptick in fighting in the Donbass. Um, so it, it it was very much a bit like I guess for you know for Cassius and like you know other accounts again who were on the other side of of the opinion to ourselves is it was very much um, God what's what's the story the boiler cried wolf mm. <laughs> like a boiler cried wolf for a lot of people in that you know it, it was constantly you know the Russians are coming the Russians are coming uh, and then and then they never did. Um, and I, I believe, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if that was Russia's plan all along, you know, to, and, and, and obviously why Zelensky was so dismissive yeah. um, to begin with. He was like, well, we've been at war for since 2014. You know, I don't, you know, no matter how many troops are on a Russian border, I don't think they're going to, you know, fully invade us. Um, you know, it, it's completely understandable why, why you know, people in Ukraine and, you know, um, respected OSIN accounts, and you know, just respected analysts in general also thought that you know Russia wouldn't invade. Yeah. Um, and you know, it, I went through my own phase myself. You know, I between I was always fairly confident it would happen. Um, but it got to a point in like mid January and like start of February when I was like, you know, I was starting to think, well, you know, it doesn't actually look like it's going to happen anymore. Yeah. Um, and then something would happen the next day, and it would put me back on. Okay, no, okay, no, it's actually happening. You know, my my opinion kind of fluctuated. Um, quite a lot, but I was always. You, you, you're not alone. I, I came out very clearly and, and said that, as far as I was concerned, if an invasion hadn't occurred by the 20th of February, the chances of it happening would steadily decrease towards the end of the month. And mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. course, you know, 
as it turns out, I probably should have just given myself a few extra days leeway just to, um, tr tr you know, <laughs> try to try and factor in Russia's unpredictability. I, and, I mean, I, I will say there were yeah. certain individuals who seemed to be taking a uh, victory lap sometime in mid-February about everyone, yeah. you know, who said there was going to be an invasion being wrong and, you know, oh, that darn intelligence community, you know, getting it wrong again. And I, I, I think... You know, there's certainly a lot of stuff we need to talk about on that front. Um, but I think that's for for that's for another episode. Yeah, for down the road. Um, it's just yeah. Well, we just want to um, sort of discuss obviously the future of the podcast. Um, as as I mentioned, this this is the season two finale. Um, there is going to be a short break uh, after the end of season two. Um, probably not more than couple of weeks anyway so you probably won't notice uh, an awful lot with our schedule anyway um, but we are going to be doing a season three in the next couple of months um, season three is going to be live streamed um, so you guys will be able to actually tune in um, listen to us as we record and um, we're probably going to end up doing some Q&A sessions as well um, at the moment the plan is that we are going to be doing that via twitch.tv um, although there is a good chance that we are also going to be looking to um, host at least one of those episodes on uh, Twitter's Spaces, um, which I will have to defer to Kyle and Technical to explain because I have no idea what that's all about. Expect expect a couple of testing sessions that may just, you know, be some jawing and talking. Um, as we sort of try to figure out the best way to host a live episode. Because, look, I'm not going to trash our last live episode, but <laughs> it was kind of a bit of a mess. Um, but, it, you know, uh, of course, this is something we want to put out a very high-quality product, and, you know, you'll see some testing. That's, that's all we can say for now. And until then, act like everything else is sort of up in the wind, because it is. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode. I know we discussed some pretty heavy topics. Um, this obviously is something that we haven't done as much on on the show, but I, I would really like to thank John and Kyle for, for helping out and, and for putting together such a good uh, third season, right? I don't remember. We're, One of the seasons that we're on. There. We're getting there. I'm only the editor. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I, you know, obviously, we, I'd also like to thank all the guests who came on this season um, to provide their insight. Uh, I, I, we've had so many that I, I can't even name them. I Phoenix, Intel Doge, uh, Ace Jace, Aleph, uh, uh, um, uh, Brian, uh, who else? I'm, I'm probably missing uh, a bunch Rory of names, Intel, but um, yeah, Belly. Um... I think you mentioned Israel Radar already as well. Um, and obviously, there was two French guys, right? There was Cassus. Uh, do you say French Cassis Radar? Cassus and Phoenix. Perfect. I mentioned them both, yeah. but thank you, all of you who yeah. came onto the show. It's a it's really, a really, and it makes us feel really good that you know we are sort of part of the community and we're able to bring people together. Hmm. Um, we hope to have people on again next season. Is going to be another experiment. But we are really, really thankful that, you know, the community recognizes us and is, has sort of brought us into the fold. Yeah. Um, and and we, we are thankful of that. So thank you, everyone, for listening. And, you know, we hope to see you in the near future. 